Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Do keep, uh, if you've grabbed the Bible, do keep them open. If you've not, and there's one in front of you, do pick it up. Um, we're going to be, we're going to be doing some kind of Bible gymnastics this morning. So if you want some kind of warning to get yourself prepared, you might want to keep a finger in John 19. You might want to find Ephesians chapter one and kind of put one there, and then find 2 Corinthians chapter eight and put another finger there. We're going to be dancing around a bit. Uh, so it might be helpful to have that in front of you. Uh, it's great to see you. If I don't know you, if it's your first time here, uh, perhaps my name is John and I'm part of the team here. It's a joy to be able to come and preach and be with you this morning. So as we dive into God's Word, should we pray together? And then we'll jump in. Well, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your Word. God, thank you that you have given us all of this book to speak life and love to us. God, thank you for this story of how you have reached out to save us and to build your kingdom in our midst. And so, God, I want to pray that as we come to it now, we would hear your voice, that we'd meet with you, and that you'd stir our hearts to love you more and to look more like you in how we live. And we ask this, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm uh, I'm fascinated uh, by the different ways in which people kind of choose to define themselves to other people. And one of the ways I think that's uh, perhaps most clearly, uh, interestingly demonstrated is in through people's Twitter bios. If you don't know what a Twitter, what a, what a Twitter, what a Twitter bio is, if that's not familiar, it's kind of a description, a one or two line description that people can choose to put on their social media to tell people in kind of in miniature, in short, who they are and what they're all about. And so in this uh, last week, I've gone onto Twitter and found some of our staff team members and hunted down, there's not that many of them who have a Twitter bio, but for those who do, I've hunted down to see how it is they choose to define themselves, what it is they think makes them them. And I've got a few of them here for you. They're going to come up on the screen. Uh, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to, with a kind of like a room consensus, we're going to guess who these are. How well do you know your staff members? How well do they know themselves? Uh, so one of those is uh, our youth pastor, Dan. Uh, one of those is me. Uh, and one of those is uh, our student pastor, Sam. So the first one... I've taken out some identifying information that would have made this really easy. So, husband to wife, job title at Greyfriars Church. It's me, Dan, or Sam. Who do you reckon that is? Just going to get a... I mean, you're confident, and you're right. That is me. I know what I'm about. Uh, So do you. Next, uh, Christian, job title, Crystal Palace fan, love playing... Hashtag SkyFF, etc., etc. And if it will help you, because once you know this next one, you'll know who the third one is. We'll jump ahead. Uh, job title, football and Jesus Christ. So, a lot of football. That first one, you can't quite make out who it is. Who do you think that first one is? 
Well, there's a bit of a division, but I'm mostly hearing Dan. Well, let's see the third one. We can see the face. You'll know the third one is, is Sam. So that second one was Dan. So well done. Um, the giveaway was that I don't care about football, and I didn't mention it. So that's how you could have worked out the first one. This is interesting, isn't it? We, we have these ways. Twitter bios uh, are just one of them. That we present ourselves to the world, tell people who we are and what we're about. And I wish I could show you a fourth, uh, but uh, I'm afraid to say that God does not have a pithy Twitter bio that I can show you, in which he sums himself up in one or two lines, who he is and what he's uh, about. But actually, he has done one better, even better than myself, Dan, and Sam. God has revealed to us who he is and what he's like, because here's a foundational tenet of the Christian faith. If you want to know who God is and what he's like, what he is all about, there is one place above all others that you can look, and it's to the cross. It's to the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus and the writers of the Bible tell us is where we most clearly and most fully see who God is and what he is like. That sounds simple, but if you've ever read the story of the cross or one of the four uh, examples we have in the biographies of Jesus, you'll know it's not that simple, is it? Because the cross is, is beautiful and, it, and it's complex. There's layers of, of meaning and, and things that we can grasp and understand. The cross is not just one simple picture. It's a multifaceted, multi-angled picture that tells us about God. And so what I want to do this morning is highlight just one of those perspectives, one of those facets, one of those pictures that the cross gives us to tell us who God is and what he's like. And I'm going to be honest with you as we begin, I'm going to make you work a bit this morning. As I've already said, we're going on a bit of a journey through the New Testament. Uh, We're going to move around to capture this picture of what God is like. I hope you're up for it. I hope you're awake. You're going to need to be for what we're doing uh, this morning. Uh, But to help you know where we're going, what the picture is that we see in the cross of who God is, I'm going to jump to the end. I'm going to tell you where we're going, the destination for this morning. And here it is. It's going to come up on the screen. The cross shows us the generosity of God. And the generosity of God invites us into a generous response. If you get lost along the way, this is where we're heading. The cross shows us the generosity of God, and the generosity of God invites us into a generous response. That's where we're heading, so let's go. Now, you've got your Bibles open, hopefully. You've got a finger in Ephesians chapter 1, so turn there. Keep another finger in John chapter 19, uh, but we're going to Ephesians chapter 1. And what we have here is... A description from one of the earliest Christian thinkers, the Apostle Paul. And he's looking back in just a few decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's reflecting on what it means. It's one of the earliest theologians considering the meaning of the cross. And it's an incredible passage. It's going to come up on the screen as well. There is lots that I wanted uh, to highlight. There are threads of generosity running throughout, but we don't have much time, so we're going to jump to the end of this passage. It's chapter 1. We're going to jump to verse 7. It's the bit in yellow, and it says this. 
By the way, go and read Ephesians chapter 1 after this morning. It's amazing. Anyway, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. This whole passage is about generosity, but but there's one word in particular in that that last verse we've pulled out, verse 7, that I want to highlight for us, and it's the word grace. Because grace is a, is a big, important Christian word that does a lot of work for us. It's something that you'll find all over the pages of the Bible. You'll hear it time and time again if you hear someone talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and the word grace has been defined through history in a number of really helpful ways. Some of them might be familiar to you. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Those are great definitions of of what grace is, but the the Greek word that's used here and elsewhere for grace is going to come up on the screen. It's the word charis. Uh, That is apparently how you spell charis in Greek. It could be anything. I have literally no idea, but that's what the internet told me charis looks like in uh, Greek. And the word charis uh, could also be translated as gift. Carries the idea of of giving generously, an abundance, an overflow of kindness. What carries the idea of of the generous forgiving of a debt that couldn't be paid. Charis, grace, is all about generosity. It's all about giving. It's all about gift. And it's a word that appears all over the New Testament. And is used to talk about the kindness that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. And one of those places that's significant, I want to, you've got your finger in 2 Corinthians 8, turn there now as well. This is one of the places that that word charis is used again. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. It's also going to come up on the screen. I do have it in front of you for some context. It says this, for you know the grace the charis, the gift, it's the same word. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Grace, God's riches, step down into poverty so that us in our poverty can be elevated to heaven's richness. That word grace is the same, it's charis, but we get a slightly different perspective on that word in these verses because here, Paul, it's the same author, he has firmly in his sights, explicitly the cross. What he's talking about here is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that place where we most fully and clearly see God. And Paul says it's the place where we most fully and clearly see the generosity, the gift the grace of God in Jesus' saving death. So here's what Paul says the gift is. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, enjoyed all the riches and glory of divinity, of heaven, of being God himself. 
But then the Bible says that for our sake, he gave it all up. That's where in the New Testament it says he humbled himself and became human. He became just like you and me and suffered death on a cross. Spiritual poverty. He stepped down from the riches of heaven into the poverty of sinful humanity so that in a beautiful exchange, those who believe and trust in him, who put their faith in Jesus Christ, might be raised up and receive all the abundant blessings and glory and riches, all of the charis, all of the gift, all of the grace of heaven. All God's generosity, his gift to us, is a gift of Jesus' own self-giving. He chooses to step down for our sake and to die so that we might be raised up and receive all that was and is rightfully his. Jesus poured himself out, poured out his very own life so that we might receive abundantly. And so with all that in mind, all of that perspective on the cross, let's turn back to John 19. We're going to mostly stay here now so you can relax your hands. John 19. And just, we're not going to read it all again, but as you cast your mind back to those verses, let's have that lens now of gift, of generosity. But what I want to particularly highlight to you is right at the end, verse 30. It says this. Again, it's going to be on the screen. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, each of the gospel writers uh, want to be really clear in how they talk about Jesus' death on the cross. And what they want to be clear about is that it's no accident. Jesus didn't stumble into the cross. And in that sense, Jesus is not at the cross primarily a victim. Now, he is the God who chose to go to that cross for the sake of those that he loves. The cross was always God's plan since eternity passed in order that he might be gracious to the world that he loves, defeating sin and death and winning salvation for those who trust in him. And so having achieved everything he came to do, being able to say that it is finished, John tells us that he gave up his spirit. Now, giving up your spirit was a really normal euphemism uh, at the time that John wrote this for talking about someone who had died. But John does something different. He uses an unusual word that we have translated here as gave up. Uh, And it's the word, again, I can't speak Greek, but this is what I'm told by people who are smarter than I am. The word is, it's going to be on the screen. It's, oh, I'm going to say this wrong, paradidomi. I might be saying it wrong. Who knows? Uh, It's going to be on the screen so you can see it in Greek and just like me, not understand what it says. There you go, paradidomi. The word that's translated as giving up. But it doesn't mean giving up in a kind of a passive sense. It's not saying that Jesus surrendered or kind of came to the end of himself and just kind of collapsed. Now, this is an active word. It's talking about consciously handing something over or entrusting something to someone else, or you might say giving someone a gift. 
And here's the point that John wants to make by using this word. Jesus didn't, just as he didn't stumble into the cross, he didn't stumble into death. His body didn't just give up on him. No, Jesus at the cross chose to give. To give even his life as a ransom, as a payment for many. If you're still tracking with me, if you've come all this way to the cross with me, here in a sentence is what we're saying on the next slide. Jesus died to give you something. Jesus died to be generous to you. He died to give you abundantly, generously, eternally, lavishly all the blessings and gifts and riches of heaven. He died so that you might know your saviour and creator and friend. He died so that you might have good and abundant life forever. He died so that you might receive your inheritance as a child of God, the Holy Spirit, as a down payment of the kingdom that is to come. He died as famously summed up earlier in the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. The cross shows us the generosity of God. The cross shows us the love of God. It shows us the incredible gift he is willing to give, the incredible price he is willing to pay so that he could have you so that he could have you and that he could have me as his child. It's not an abstract thing. God did all of that so that he could have you. That was the price he was willing to pay, the gift he was willing to give. You know what I believe? The church believes that that is good news. But what should we do? having heard this news. Well, firstly, most importantly, we are invited to believe it and rejoice. We are invited to receive this as true and be glad. God gave all this for you because he loves you. We're invited to receive it, but I also want to suggest in light of such generosity, we are invited to respond. We're invited to have our lives look different. And for an example of that, I just want to tell briefly a story of a man who was born in the year 1700, and he was called Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. He was born to an aristocratic family in Dresden, and Count Zinzendorf grew up knowing Jesus. He didn't have some dramatic conversion experience in that sense. He grew up uh, knowing the Lord, wanting to follow him, kind of working out what that looked like. But for him, the pathway as uh, the son of an aristocratic family was into uh, some area of privilege. He was going to be a a leader, maybe a political leader or a diplomat. He was uh, on course to enjoy the riches of his position and do something significant and important in the world. 
And as a result, he went to study law at university. And when he was studying at the University of Wittenberg, sometime between the ages of 16 and 22, uh, he went to uh, an art gallery in Dusseldorf and had a profound experience of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when he saw this painting, it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, this uh, is a painting by the artist uh, Dominica Fetti, and it's called Ecce Homo, Behold the Man. It's a painting of Jesus at his trial before Pilate, a story taken out of the Gospels. Uh, and you may or may not be able to see, but at the bottom there's a, a, an inscription. There are some words in Latin, and they say this in English, because I also can't speak Latin, uh, but someone else translated it for me. It says, this have I suffered for you. Now what will you do for me? This have I suffered for you. Now what will you do for me? And as Zinzendorf looked at this painting in an art gallery, and as he read that inscription, the Spirit of God met with him. He was deeply moved and challenged by the words that he read there. And Zinzendorf did respond. You can read about his life in a number of books. You can find stories online. But he went on to found a movement of Christians called the Moravians. They started a, a missional and prayer movement that prayed nonstop for 100 years. Sent missionaries around the world to dozens of countries, sparking a number of famous revivals. It was Moravians who converted the Wesleys, uh, who impacted William Wilberforce, a significant figure in the abolition of slavery. Zinzendorf understood that Jesus had done something for him. And so in response, he was willing to do, to give everything, to give his life, to give his wealth, to give his prospects for the sake of Jesus Christ. And you know, we too, like our brother Count Zinzendorf, that's not a picture of Zinzendorf, I don't know why I pointed at the screen, that's Jesus. Uh, but we too, like Count Zinzendorf, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you intend to live a spirit-empowered life following in the way of Christ, then we too are called to give generously of ourselves, just as Jesus gave generously of himself for us. So we come back to the destination I promised you at the start. The cross, it's going to come up on the screen, the cross shows us the generosity of God. And the generosity of God invites us into a generous response. You know, there are many ways that we could talk about that response. We're called to be generous with our time and with our lives, with our homes and with our hearts and with our skills. But today, I want to focus on one way in particular. It's a way that in our cultural context is perhaps particularly important and particularly painful. And here it is. We're also called to be generous with our money. To dethrone the God of money and stuff from the throne of our hearts with the weapons of generosity. Placing our generous King Jesus back in his rightful place as Lord of our lives. You know, in many ways, being generous with our money is no more important than any other way we might feel called to be generous. It's not any more special, it's not any more holy, but that being said, the New Testament writers chose to talk about what we do with our wallets more than perhaps any other topic. 
And I think the reason for that is that money can be dangerous. Money can get a grip on our hearts. And so often, not always, but often we can tell the state of our hearts by looking at how we use our money. And so as we come into land, as I come to an end, I am not here. I am not going to prescribe to you now. Therefore, these are the five things that you should do with your money. I'm not going to tell you what or how much uh, you should give. And in fact, I probably shouldn't say this, but please, if it is a stumbling block to you this morning to hear a vicar talking about money uh, in the context of a service where we need to raise money as a church, if that is a stumbling block for you, please do not give Greyfriars any of your money. Because that is not what I'm here for as the person asked to bring God's word to you this morning. That is not my job. If you need to hear that we're not just after your money, please give somewhere else. Because as your pastors here at Greyfriars, we are after your hearts for the sake of Jesus Christ. And please also hear me. I know, as many of you will do in this room personally, that at the moment, generosity looks different. Many of us do not have as much margin in our finances as we did even a couple of months ago. And that's okay. The goal of thinking about generosity is not a figure that you should give or an amount that we think should come out of your bank account. The goal is, whatever your circumstances, to be generous. And so I'm not going to tell you where or how to give, but I just want to leave you with some questions that I believe God would ask us as we reflect on his generosity to us. Is your life marked with generosity? Are you responding to the generosity you have received in Christ with generosity of your own? And does that generosity reach all the way down to your wallet? If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, that's what following him looks like. Freely you have received, now freely give. Maybe, maybe that could practically mean considering uh, participating financially in what God is doing here at Greyfriars. If you think that's the right response for you, I think you've got some cards uh, in your seats. David's going to talk about it in just a moment. Uh, This will tell you how to give here. If that's right for you, great, you've got these. But as I said earlier, if that is a stumbling block for you, we'd much rather you were generous elsewhere. Please do not let this get in the way of God, what God might want to do with you. And if you are not yet a Christian, this isn't an invitation for you. Please do not at this point consider it. The invitation for you instead is to receive the generosity of God for yourself. Come on Alpha. We're starting it in a few weeks and learn about the God who loves you and gave all for you out of love. Wherever you are today, however God might be calling you, we have received the loving generosity of God. And so wherever we are, we are invited into response. So I'd love to make space for that now. I'd love to pray. I'd like God to challenge us and direct us and meet with us. So can I invite you to stand? I'm going to pray. And then we're going to move on to what's next. So let me pray. And I'm just going to pause for a moment. 
And it's going to allow each of us to settle. And just very briefly, allow the Spirit to quiet perhaps the noise of our hearts and to speak most loudly what He wants to speak. So Lord Jesus, we have heard your word and we want to be obedient and respond. So would you come and fill us, speak to us, and direct our hearts. Let's just wait for him for a moment.